Hello, hello, my name is Keisha Chung. And my name is Muna Traore, and welcome to the Collective Culture Creative Conversations podcast. Where we chat with different BIPOC creatives and community leaders we love and admire. How are you guys doing? I hope you're great. It's June now. Well, not for us right now, but when you are listening to this, it will be June. Yeah. And um, I'm finally back in Ontario in lockdown. Yippee. You sound so happy. I'm, you know, it's, it's interesting going from, like, when I went to California in... February, everybody thought I was insane because mm-hmm. obviously COVID rates were so high there. Yeah. And then, you know, California's really made a turnaround. The LA Times published an article saying that they expect uh LA County to reach herd immunity by the end of July. And things are really, you know, going back to the what well, are going to a new normal mm-hmm. and opening up and, you know, people are socializing. I went to a pool party where every single person was vaccinated. Yeah, I remember and when you told me that and I was literally in shock. I yeah, can't even imagine. I felt so overwhelmed. I felt like crying just because it was it was this it was so unfamiliar, but familiar. It was just bizarre and, you know, to be back in Ontario which is experiencing something very different and I'm also in quarantine. Yeah. Um yeah, it's been it's been a bit brutal, but you know, yeah. Champagne problems. We're here now and it's great. And I'm happy that you're here, even though I don't get to see you, but you know, at least your energy's in the same city as me now. So yeah. Temporarily. But that's okay. Yeah, I'm about to leave again. So Yeah. Um well, I feel like we should jump on in. Well, actually before we start, I want to thank everybody that came to the our event that we did um a few weeks ago, uh Sacred Skin. Um, Alona and Jana and Sid, thank you guys so much for coming uh, and doing the event with us and everybody that donated and supported and stuff. It was really great. Um, and we're not going to have any online events for a little while. So that was a really nice way to put a pause on that type of content for a little bit. But, um, yeah, I just want to say that before we, we started. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you all. Yeah. Um, so let's do our check-in. How are you doing, Muna? um i've been better um just a bit over a week ago my grandma passed and it was pretty shocking although she was 91 years old she was really together you know Mm -hmm. she was so quick and smart and um it was kind of tragic what happened and I'm so grateful that I was able to be with my family because you know she went into the hospital like the day before I flew out to come back to Toronto Mm -hmm. so um you know I was with my family for a really really um challenging time and um yeah that's taken a lot of my energy um I just haven't really been able to show up for anyone other than my family really yeah yeah that makes sense well my condolences again thank Um, you and i'm happy that you were able to be with your family too that's a really 
you know, unfortunate but fortunate thing that you got to at least be there with them and experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I got a compassionate release from my quarantine so that I could go to her funeral. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, COVID, like, it was, we only had, we were only allowed 10 people, um, including clergy, and um, it had to be 30 minutes and done. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it's like, how do you celebrate a life that was so expansive when you have 30 minutes? You can't. You can't. Yeah. I hope you guys got to do some something outside of that, though. We're going to do something. um, I don't know when, but we're going to we're going to throw her a party. Nice. That's good. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Um, Anything else going on in your world right now? I'm just gearing up to go to Winnipeg and shoot this TV show, which is also, you know, um, so exciting. But it's, you know, it's a bit bittersweet. My grandmother was so excited for me to do it. And we had so we were going to talk about so much to do it, do so much to do with the show because it's a period show. It takes place in the 1920s. She'd gotten a, a Ken Burns documentary that she wanted me to watch that was sort of about the time period. And so, you know, I was going to do some research with her. And, um, it's hard for me to, it's like a rose and a thorn, you know, mm-hmm. we've talked about roses and thorns before, right? Like playing that game. I don't think so. Oh, well, do you know what roses and thorns is? I know what a rose is and I know what a thorn is. Well, okay. Am I so missing is that like a game, like, game what, that I'm missing? Yeah, on? Like not a game, but when you're a kid at like summer camp or whatever, or, you know, in school, you'll be like, okay, what was your rose today? And what was your thorn? Something oh. good and something bad. Okay. And so, you know, this job that I'm about to do is my rose. It is such a gift and such a blessing. And I'm so, 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 so grateful and excited to do it. Mm-hmm. My thorn is I'm going with a heavy heart. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that concept. I never, I don't recall playing that as a kid, but I think. Girl, I don't know who you were friends with then. Because <laughs> we were playing roses and thorns. Maybe I've also said so many times I have a terrible memory. So maybe I did and I just don't remember, but. I get the concept. I like it. Um, well, yeah, that's a that's a lot. But I'm excited for you to do the show, and I'm sure she's very proud of you, and will be very proud as you continue to do it when it comes out. And we're going to celebrate. I hope so. So, Keisha, how are you doing? Let's um, check in. I am very overwhelmed <laughs> right now. Life is busy. Um, mm-hmm. It was my birthday month and that was great. Like I got like, thank you to all my friends and my family that made that special because that was like one of my best birthdays I've ever had. Um, it was really great. And even in like COVID times, they still made it really special. And I got like so many gifts and flowers and nice messages from people. But then after the birthday celebrations kind of died down, work just is kicking my ass there's like 12 things going on right now and you know when like I'm sure I've talked about this with you before but I tend to take on like so many things and I'm fine and then I'm not very quickly so I'm like heading into the I'm not right now Yeah, like you've hit your threshold yeah like it's there and like there's it's my own doing really because I'm just taking on a lot of stuff but I think once it calms down in the next couple weeks I'll be a bit better um but like other than that I've been I'm okay. Like, I'm just, just feeling a little overwhelmed right now. Um, but yeah. Is there 
anything that you're doing to sh- to find balance or to to you know give yourself a little space from work um that's a good question i i think like i've been watching a show which we'll get into in a minute um and i've been trying to connect with people like different creatives i've been really trying to make an effort to put time aside to meet new people see what they're up to and that's been like although it's semi-work related it's been nice to just hear what's going on in other people's worlds other than my own it kind of removes me from it a little bit you know and like um allowing that energy to fill me a bit and i did i oh also i finished my 30-day challenge i did it congrats i did it congratulations thank you but i took a nice little break so i'm about to Okay, I don't want to goat milk myself, but like I'm gonna start another one in June. I still haven't figured out the length, so um, exercise. The reason I'm bringing this up is because exercise has been something that's kind of been helping me out a bit. I've been trying to stretch and be in tune with my body and mind and spirit. You know, so good for you. I exercise pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't last week, but um, I don't like exercising. It's never been something where, like, if I could live my life and be skinny or fit without exercising, I would. It's not something I enjoy. It's not something that, like, I would do if I didn't feel like I had to. (laughs) Yeah, no, I feel you. I, I like, semi, like, I semi agree with it because it's, it takes a lot to get me to do it. But once I'm in it, I'm, like, in it. And I really want to start running again. Like, I, I. Um, I injured my knees and I've been in physio for it. So like, as soon as I get the, okay, I'm going to start running. That's like the one form of exercise that I really, really enjoy, you know? So unless I'm running from something, (laughs) honey, I love it. It's so fun. It's so meditative. I did. You know what I did yesterday though? I, um, I went, so I don't know for those of you who are from Toronto, you'll understand the distance of this, but I walked from Parkdale to my house which is in the East End. That's crazy. It was a seven K walk. And like, I also did this after I was on set for 10 and a half hours. I don't really know why. Like I would like, I worked, I, w- I was on set at 7am. I worked all day. And then I like, when I walk, I like release a lot. Like it's time for me to like really think, you know what I mean? And it's like, I have a destination. So it feels like it's, it's not like I'm How able long did to it take you? Somewhere um like an hour and 15 20 minutes ish oh that's not that bad no but it was far it's far yeah it was seven kilometers and i and so like that was really that was nice i haven't done that in a minute but i love doing that type of stuff like i like walking across the city it's really fun for me i like that's the one thing i love about toronto in the spring and summer is being able to do that like i will walk two hours before i'll you know, hop in a cab or something right? like that. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, me back in the day, I used to bike everywhere. Yeah. Like whether it was the club or to the park, like <laughs> I was like always biking. Yeah. And somebody teeth my bike. So haven't done that in a minute. That's very Toronto. Right. <laughs> bike, bike thievery. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that one time that guy, like they, they found that warehouse of like bikes that people were stealing? Yeah, a couple summers ago. Lord, but yeah, I'm I, I'm doing a skipping challenge, kind of. Oh, skipping's so fun. Um, I disagree, <laughs> but um, um, it's really effective 
in terms of cardio. And because I'm in quarantine, I can't go out for a run. Mm. When I was in Los Angeles, I was running every other day, which mm-hmm. was also brutal and I also hated. But um, skipping is what I'm doing now to punish myself. And um, I heard about the skipping challenge on YouTube where you just um, you start with like 300 skips a day and then you add 100 each day. But um, this woman was saying how like, you know, 300 feels like very little. So she just started with 500. So today I did 500, and then I'm going to add 100 tomorrow. How long does 500 skips take? I don't know, like 10, 15 minutes. Oh, okay. How how long, how long, something like that takes you. I don't, I don't even think it takes that long, but um, yeah, it just depends how fast you are and like Mm. your skipping level. And skipping is something that I, I include in my workouts anyway, so it's just like longer periods of skipping. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. That makes sense. Skipping's fun. I haven't done that in a minute. I remember when we were in like elementary school, you know, you used to do like the jump rope for heart. Oh, yeah. And you have like the routines and like everyone has to do the little dances and like, yeah, that was fun. So easy when you're a kid. I know, right? And you like loved it and you like coordinated with your friends. No, like it's a left first. Like, mm-hmm. so fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I think that's kind of it in my world of how I'm doing. I don't think anything else. So, Keisha, what are you watching? What are you reading? Okay. What are you consuming? What am I consuming? Okay, also, like, I want to just shout this out. Like, something I'm consuming that's food that I think every person who likes chips should try is Miss Vicky's Spicy Dill Pickle Chips. Have you tried these? You're Uh, rolling your eyes. Your eyes went to the back of your head. Have you tried them? Because I'm not a chip person. Well. Me and chips, like... Chips to me is like, you know, grade four snack lunchable. What? That's about it. What? Oh my God. Honey, we've grown up. We're more sophisticated. You want to talk about snacks? Let's talk about uh, a cheese platter. I feel attacked. And who's to say you can't have both? Who's it? Why why does it? Why is it either or? They're not mutually exclusive, Muna. In my house. (laughs) I can have a cute cheese platter. I love me some brie. Some fun, some fun soft cheeses and baguette. You know what? Good for you. Eat your chips. How, how, but I'm not. I know. I'm. I'm not done about this. These chips. I, <laughs> I'd like to think about them a little bit longer. If you like spicy chips, if you like tarty things, if you like chips generally, they're the perfect chip. They are the perfect chip. I consume. I have eaten a whole bag in like two days. It's bad. So just try them. I'd love to hear from people who try them on account of this recommendation. And, um, yeah, that's something I've been consuming. That's really been, you know, I actually had some for breakfast this morning along with my breakfast, but it was the first thing I put in my mouth. It's terrible, but they're really good. Um, so yeah, that's my chip thing. Okay. Um, I love that for you. Thank you. I love it for me too. (laughs) Um, in terms of things I'm watching. Okay. So I started watching the show called the affair. Have you heard of it? Oh, is it like a, it's like an ABC or NBC show? No, it's it's a Showtime show. Yeah, it's been on TV. It's a Showtime show. Yeah. Um, Is everybody having affairs? Girl, this shit gets Messy? Okay, okay. I have to watch it. It's so, so messy. Okay, but hold on. I'm trying to find the name of the actress. Um, I put Anna on it. I don't know if she watched it. I think so. Yeah, I think Anna watched it. Um, Anna's Anna's our amazing producer. producer. Yeah. Um, So... 
Okay, Ruth Wilson. So Ruth Wilson is in it. Um, and Dominic West. Dominic West plays McNulty. Oh, but he life. has bare affairs in real life. Didn't you see how he cheated on his wife publicly with Lily James this year? No one. <laughs> he was messy in real life. Oh what? my god. Google the man. Google the man. What? Talk about affair. Get out of here, Dominic West. I'm sick of him. Their wonderful Dominic West's wife, Catherine, reflects on their wonderful love affair. Relationship ups and downs. What? He literally was filming a movie with Lily James and they were out together like they were in a relationship. And then people were like, but you're married. And then literally he like flew home and him <laughs> and his wife walked out of his house to take pictures and like kiss each other <laughs> to front for the gra- for the gram. Oh my God. That's so funny. Well, yes. he is messy on the show. Like this show gets messy. So the cool thing about it though, like anybody who's into TV writing, TV in general, you should watch the show just for the basic premise that I like, which I'm going to explain right now. So half the show is from one character's perspective and the other half is from another. So the main character is Noah. We see like how they meet. And then the woman he has an affair with is a woman named Allison. Then we see like her side of the story. And it's very cool because they'll show the same experiences, but from different points of view. So you see where like he remembers it, that she came on to him as an example. And then she remembers that he came on to her and you see the like inconsistencies in their memory and their recollection of what happened. So it's very cool. Like it's a very cool premise, but what intrigued me about this show was that it's a show it's called the affair. It's about an affair. Tell me why there's five seasons. How make that make sense? Cause people, people be having affairs for years. Okay. But like, it can't, it can no longer be about an affair for five seasons. That doesn't, that's not plausible. Like that doesn't. And, and I was correct. Cause I'm on season four right now. This show takes, takes shape in many genres. <laughs> many of things happen. Like, Oh, I'm sure somebody it, dies. Somebody it, got murdered. I know that. I know that five seasons. No way. No way. Somebody get, didn't get murdered behind it. I'm not going to say anything because you're going to, if you are going to watch it, I don't want to ruin it for you, but it's just, it's very intriguing to me when stories it, it's no longer what the show was about originally. Like it is, but it's not. It's about the people, but the main premise of the show is kind of lost now. But it, I'm still entertained. I'm still watching. I'm gonna watch it to completion, hundred percent. So great. I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into that. At some it point. is messy, so okay. messy. Um, so I've been watching that, and then um, I started listening to Frank Ocean again, kind of randomly. And that's been fun. Like just, you know, when you listen to music and like, it just brings you back to that time when it came out and you just feel it, you smell the things. It's just, it's been so nice. I love his music and I've been having a blast there. Um, And reading, I'm reading Dr. Moya Bailey's book right now, which is great. Um, And uh, it's a lot. It's heavy, but it's not heavy. It's just (sighs) makes me like hate the world. But like also have knowledge, more knowledge. So, you know, you want some of this and Rose and Thorn. <laughs> okay, great. Bring them back the concepts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's all the things I'm watching right now. I took an anime break for a little bit because I got really into the affair. And oh my god, I started rewatching Fleabag. And ha- have you watched it yet? Mm-hmm. I know we you haven't seen Fleabag, Luna? Is it on Amazon Prime? Where yes, do you it watch is. it? It's okay. on Amazon Prime. You will love this show. It is so funny. And it is like, I I forgot how good it is. Like, I just rewatched the first 
um, episode of season two. And like the writing is snappy. The acting's good. It's like catches you off guard. It's just, it's so good. Ooh, okay. I'm excited. I'm going to put that on my list. I would watch Fleabag before The Affair because it's shorter. There's only two seasons and they're half hour episodes. The Affair is like an hour and there's like 12 episodes in one season. And like I said, there's five seasons. So cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, my life in that world right now. What about you? What's feeding you, Muna? So I've been watching a show called Billions, which is also on Showtime. Heard of it. I was just like, let me just see if this is good. Um, there's terrific actors in it. Um, Damian Lewis and Paul Giamatti, among so many others. Um, His wife died recently. Damian yeah, Lewis. she did. That was sad. Yeah. I didn't even know they were married. Me neither. Yeah. Um, no, it's okay. Um, so I've been watching that, and it's like, it's good. I'm following the story. I like the writing. But there's something about it that's sort of the same as, like, other Showtime shows, where I feel like they, like, really put it on for you who these characters are, rather than just, like, allowing us to discover them. Mm. Like, I don't know if you ever watched um, Californication or Ray Donovan. I tried watching Ray Donovan and then the white, the main character at the beginning said the N-word and he was white. So it turned me off the show. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like those shows both, it's like, you know, white male lead who's like the guy, you know, in whatever arena they're in. And I feel like this show is, again, like a version of that where it's like, like they really ham it up like the persona of the character rather than just like, you know, letting us see who this person is and like create our own um, picture of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I feel like, um, I don't know what about it, but the storytelling is always so extreme. It's yeah. just like, it's like, you're dumb and we're going to show you that this is who this person is. And this is who that person is. Um, and I appreciate a bit more nuance in some of my storytelling. But it's good, and the writing's really good, and um, I really, it's like, it's like almost Shakespearean in the way that you have these adversaries going after each other, and it's so much about ego and play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found that interesting, and um, I started reading a book series called Wool, mm-hmm. or, or I think it's called the Silo series by Howard Howley or something like that. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. that's interesting what you say about billions though like and and that type of storytelling because i think that's one of the things i actually really like about the affair is that you learn what's cool about the concept is you actually learn about the characters through the concept and the way the story is constructed so the oh, things wow. that like the characters like when you see the two different memories or the two re- recollections and how they choose to characterize the other people tells you about that character it's very layered in that way which is really cool i love know? that i love yeah. that yeah um, going back to what I was saying, I was reading. So I'm reading mm-hmm. Wool by Hugh Howey. Cool. And it's like a dystopian sci-fi book about um, a community of people who live in like an underground silo. Mm-hmm. Because I guess the world outside is like completely destroyed. Yeah. Um, or it's inhabitable. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm reading. And it's sort of like, it tickles my my sci-fi fancy but it's not like i don't know i don't know if i'm totally into it or if i'm just reading it because i'm hoping that there's a payoff at the end Uh, i see 
So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Mm, that's interesting. I haven't read like I haven't read anything that's not in the like type of book I'm reading now sphere for a while. Like some sort of fiction. Like I've I don't know, it's weird. I've tried. I have so many books and I also bought an Audible membership and I just am building credits at this point. I haven't purchased any Audible books yet. Ooh. I know. I have to like do that, but someone give me some time and I'll find time to do it so anyways um okay i have a question for you before we kind of move on yeah um so i've been giving myself this exercise to try and categorize my top 10 favorite shows in any genre Mm -hmm. so i kind of have been building a criteria of what i define as a good show and i'm curious from your point of view what your criteria would be for a good show or even a movie because i know that you watch more movies than shows so like the way i look at tv and movies is totally different Okay. Specifically for a television show, I'm looking at like compelling storytelling. Okay. Like one, like do I like the storytelling? Is it easy to follow or is it very complex? I don't mind complex, but if I'm watching a, a show and I legitimately don't get it, then like mm-hmm. I'm gonna lose interest. That was like I had to watch the pilot for Westworld like three times. I was the like, show oh, is I'm- generally very confusing, and it only gets more confusing. Yeah, like I really didn't understand it when I first started watching it. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the first season, I was like, oh my god! Um, uh, you know, character development, like love highly developed, distinct characters, you know, good acting, that makes, you know, a good show. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, like, novelty. I love when I see something that I haven't seen, something that doesn't feel cliche, something that feels um, new and inspired and that makes me think about something in a way I never thought about it before. Ah, okay. That's really important for me. Um, And, you know, good music, that always helps. Like, if the music of a show is off, then it kind of like, you know, you're like, we're what the f is this it can totally change the tone yeah uh you know good direction lighting i mean you have so many people who work in film making tv now so it's like so cinematic and i love that Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah but those are good ones i like the criteria of it making you think about something differently like, I think that's, that's very true. Cause I've, I've been trying to kind of categorize what I would say. I think the one thing that you didn't say that I would also, um, add is like production design is really important to me. Oh yeah. How much the world is developed out visually, you know, especially because the, the fact that there's so many filmmakers now working in TV and they, they get bigger budgets. Did you hear about the Lord of the Rings budget for the TV show, by the way? Yeah. I, I, I've been known about that show. What? Why is the budget so high? Because like, I know why, but, like, what? That's that's absurd. Because this is going to be, it's like a legacy show. It's like, oh my God. you know, I think a lot of the streamers are looking to invest in shows that they know are going to, like, people are going to get memberships just to watch Lord of the Rings. The same way people, we got a membership to Disney Plus just so we could watch The Mandalorian. This is true. Yeah. This is true. Well, um... All right. Well, I feel like those are all the things I I wanted to chat with you about before we get into this lovely interview. Yeah, I'm so excited for this interview. I have been so intrigued by our guest. 
Um, want to so, announce our guest? Oh, yes. sorry, you were about to, and then I interrupted you. Yeah, well, if you'll <laughs> allow me, uh, our guest is a young woman named Sophia Lee. She describes herself as a climate optimist, and she is like, you know, quintessential multi hyphenate. And I am so excited to dive in and talk about her new show and everything that she's been doing. Yes, me too. Well, um, that wraps up this part of the show, and we'll be back with Sophia. I am so excited for this conversation just because I've admired Sophia for such a long time. Uh, Sophia is a Chinese-American multimedia journalist, film director, and climate activist who defines herself as a climate optimist. And her work is centered around environmental justice and racial justice in America and around the world. Um, Sophia, you are the definition of a multi-hyphenate. Um, how do you introduce yourself? How do you define yourself? Oh, well, first off, thank you guys so much for having me. Um such a stan and yeah i think that i never really abided by what societal identities are when even when i used to work at vogue i would try as hard as possible to avoid the question oh what do you do for work and i'll be like oh i work at um a fashion publication oh which publication i would always try to avoid that question because immediately if you give someone your job title or you give someone those identity titles, they put you in a box. They already have these preconceived notions of what that is. And I always wanted just to get to know people for like who we are as souls and our like curiosities. And so to always try to kind of remove the identity question from like the level of communication when I'm first meeting someone. Hmm. I like that. That's very true. Especially I think now where like people you know, on, even on like social media and the ways that we interact more commonly, how you have to, you have like bios and you have all these, these, I guess, indicators of like what we are, who we should be just based on our occupation. So that's a, I like that. I'm going to try that. Yeah, do it. And it's really funny when, I mean, especially in New York, like the first question is always, okay, what's your name? Second question is, what do you do? That's, you can't avoid that in New York. (laughs) And it's, especially in this past year with the pandemic, so many people are just figuring out themselves. They're having self-revolutions and metamorphosis of understanding who they are. Um, So so many lost their jobs. So many quit their jobs because they realized it wasn't what they want to do. So many, you know, are rediscovering who they are. So I think, um, yeah, just changing that narrative of how we talk to each other and what we do is really important. So I just, if I want a super straight answer, I'll just say I'm a storyteller. Um, And then if I just want to like, fuck around more i'll just be like yeah i believe in aliens i'm a spiritual (laughs) person i'm you know like i really get into it (laughs) yeah i love that so i'm really curious about um how you got to be where you are now like when you were younger did you ever visualize yourself doing the things that you're doing now were you like i'm gonna move to new york city and i'm gonna you know be a director or like how did you um what were your dreams when you were a kid and how did you, how did that translate into who you are today? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I think there is, when we're kids, we're so receptive and we're so open and pure, not just to what's happening in this life 
what happened to me as Sophia Lee as a kid, but also we're just so open and receptive and to what's happening in the realms of this reality. We're open to, we're so much more receptive to our past lives. And that's even crazy to say, but I, I'm more aware of it that when I was younger, I would have the most craziest imagination. I would have the most craziest and most vivid dreams. And I realized now a lot of the dreams that I had when I was younger were all about my past lives. Um, mm. And that was confirmed through multiple clairvoyance. But when I was younger, we moved around every three to four years. So I was always like the professional new kid at school that helped a lot with meeting people and being really good at like socially acclimating into new environments and situations. Um, I also lived in China a few years. So there was a point when I had to relearn English as a kid and I was really bad at communicating. So it made me a better listener. So I really like just listening to people. Um, and I also was just exposed to so many different things. My parents, when they would travel, they always bring me to many different places. And so I was exposed to different cultures. Sometimes I'd be the only Asian in school. Sometimes I would be, you know, like mixed in with a really diverse group. So yeah, I think the the vastness of like my experiences as a child really helped shaped all my different multi-passions today that for sure wow wow amazing it's cool that you know you said that you when you had to relearn english it taught you to be a better listener i think that's something that a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do um you know like given the way that people especially now how people have so many opinions about things i think listening is such an important skill and it, I feel like it really, especially as a creative, that's something that we need to be good at. So it's interesting that that's how you were able to get that skill. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I think, yeah, we underestimate the art of listening. We, I think we value in this, at least in American society, we value the people who speak the loudest and who are the most opinionated and insert themselves the most. Um, but it, we don't value the opposite end of the spectrum of the the art of listening and understanding and empatheticness that comes with it. And I think that's a whole skill set that we're about to come into in, in this culture and in, in this time point of really recognizing it for the, the strength that it is. I would love to talk a little bit about all of the above, your new show. Um, I love the concept just because I am like, the quintessential like climate paranoid climate um what was the term you guys use on the show uh like the climate apocalypse yes type the person. doom and gloom climate apocalypse <laughs> yes exactly to the point where i'm like i don't know if i want to have children is it ethical to even have children uh you know and your show does such a great job of alleviating a lot of that stress and anxiety and, you know, getting us out of binary thinking and um, looking at what we can do. Yeah. And it was interesting, you just mentioned like, you know, your past lives. And I remember thinking and feeling when I first watched your show that there was like a sense of like a thread of spirituality in, in how you guys were relaying your message. And so I would love for you to talk a bit about the show and about what that thing is. And if I'm <laughs> correct or incorrect and, and how, I, I'm I'm perceiving it. Oh no, you are a hundred percent spot on, like so correct. Um, so first off, I think one of the reasons we started all of the above is because Celine, Saman, my partner in all of the above, and 
truly like a sister to me. Uh, we have this very specific view on sustainability and environmentalism, which is that it's completely sustainability. I mean, it's complete sustainability is spirituality. It's rooted completely in spirituality. And that's our viewpoint on the environment and the climate crisis. Um, and we just realized that the narrative that we are pushing, at least the mainstream narrative when it comes to the climate crisis is the climate apocalypse, the doom and gloom. We only have this amount of time left. It's like fear based. And the thing Selena and I always say is that when you're talking about mother nature, when you're talking about climate, it is actually the most abundant thing we've ever experienced or known. But we view it right now in this modern way where we view it out of scarcity. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough resources. And the, the thing that, you know, indigenous communities have always lived this way is that mother nature is the ultimate source of abundance and love. And when we approach the climate crisis through that lens, oh, we want to do this and we want to change behavior because we are nature. This is a part of us. This is our home. We feel called towards protecting what is essentially us that is a like that completely shifts this like energy exchange we have then like oh we must do this out of fear and it's like th like fear will only bring you so far you know it, it's unsustainable at the end of the day um it's a great way to be introduced to the climate crisis like that is i i think that you know a lot of us were introduced to it through fear but then if you look at the emotional spectrum scientifically like fear is on the lowest vibrations of emotions. And then once you get over fear, you need to move higher towards these other emotional frequencies, which is love and abundance and compassion and empathy and all of that. And for example, when we first found out about COVID, we all reacted through fear. We started hoarding yes. toilet paper. We started <laughs> sharing misinformation because we were just operating in fear, right? And then as we went on, what happened when we started entering the levels of emotional frequencies that were love? We started caring for our essential workers. We started caring for our neighbors. We started caring for ourselves and nature. You know, like that's the level that we are hoping that everyone will operate from once. And we can get there once they watch all of the above. We're just like trying to be um, climate doulas. You know how there's like birth doulas? <laughs> yes, I love that. that. Yeah, so that. we call ourselves climate doulas because we're trying to help, you know, help the process in a very um, empowering way instead of being like shaming people or anything. I just think the shame and the horizontal hostility and the eco anxiety, it's so real in this space and it just doesn't get us anywhere. So I guess that's why you define yourself as a climate op optimist. Yeah, a hundred percent. Exactly. I define myself as a climate optimist, but I'm also rooted in reality. I know what the science is and what that exists and where we're heading. Um, but I, I, I fundamentally believe we could still be optimistic about the future while also be rooted in reality. I mean, we have to be optimistic. That's, mm -hmm. I just don't understand. There's not any other way forward. I'm, I'm curious about something like, you know, uh, you, you mentioned kind of the transition with COVID and, um, you know, how we kind of started all this in fear and then moved into a different space. So in terms of your activism within all the work you do with the environment, um, did you have some sort of phase where at first it was very fear, like fear based and you kind of moved through? Like, what was that transition like to get to where you are as claiming yourself to be um, 
a um, climate optimist, an environmental yeah. optimist. Sorry. Yeah, totally. I think that I definitely started with at least some level of fear. Um, I think that's a, also a, just a super natural human reaction. You know, we were just mm -hmm. talking about relationships before this call and a lot of how we act in this space, in this world, and our relationships to ourselves, to each other is because of our fear. And then we move mm -hmm. past that and then we understand there's a better way of living. So yes, definitely. I started from a place of fear. I think having grown up both in the U.S. and in China, um, I would go to China almost every summer and I saw firsthand what was happening to a country that had such beautiful nature and blue skies in the most populated areas. You would have foggy, really um, heavy pollution days for weeks and months on end. You would wear face masks, not because there was a virus, but because the air pollution was so high. And I saw that happen just, you know, in my one lifetime of 10 years going there from being a child into being a teenager and that was that was scary because I was I first started being like wow this is exactly what's going to happen to the rest of the world um if we don't do anything mm -hmm. so that started from a level of fear but then it, was, it wasn't I had to realize yes I was scared for that future but it was more because I love our way of living not our way of living, but I love just how we can be so in touch with nature, how we can have blue skies in New York City. And I was scared of losing that. Mm. When you were a child, did you grow up with the kind of like climate consciousness? Like, you know, in Toronto, I don't know about you, Keisha, when we were kids, you know, we learned all about the rainforest and we'd raise money to stop like clear cutting of the rainforest. And I feel like my upbringing and my education was imbued with a sense of climate consciousness and yeah. um, knowledge and awareness of what was happening to the environment was very much a part of my education. So I'm curious about whether or not that was present for you and how that maybe transformed your perspective yeah, for sure. I think that we all have a climate story. And even if we don't think we have a climate story, we we really do because we all live in this yeah. world together. Um, and a lot of it has to be like unpacking that itself. So I didn't even realize I was so intensely connected to the climate and everything until I was older. Like the story I just said about China, I didn't even realize that until as an adult, how it impacted me and how I had this viewpoint that maybe my, um, my classmates in school didn't because they didn't have the opportunity to see a different world or space or blue sky in the same way I did. Um, and also in middle school, actually in elementary school, I lived in Memphis, Tennessee, and Al Gore was uh, vice president then. So Al Gore was like a big you know, just like person we always looked up to in that community, he would come visit Memphis all the time. And then when he came out with the inconvenient truth, I remember being like 13 years old watching an inconvenient truth and being so moved by it. So like, I need to do something and so empowered by it. Um, and yeah, there, there's just other moments too. Um, we had a bunch of relatives uh, come out for my older sister's wedding in California. We were right on the coast of North of San Francisco and Mendocino. So beautiful, you know, coastlines. And instead of taking pictures of the coastline, the oceans, they were taking pictures of the sky 
And I remember asking them like jokingly, like, why aren't you guys taking pictures of the coast? Like, look at this insane view. And they're like, look at the sky. It's so blue. And it's because they haven't seen such blue skies in a very long time. Um, and that's just the norm. The climate crisis is here. We're just not all experiencing it in the same aptitude. I love your um, notion of a climate story and that everybody has a climate story. Um, it's got me really thinking about. Yeah. What is yours? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it's not something I've thought of before this moment, but I'm thinking of like, you know, as a child spending my summers up North in Northern Ontario and um, how much interaction I had with nature, like there were frogs everywhere and all kinds of animals, otters, beavers, I would see them all on a regular basis. And, um, you know, now as an adult, so a lot of those sightings are very rare. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I can go up north and I'll never see any of those animals uh, because there's so many more people up there who have cottages. There's so much more noise pollution. You don't have clear skies anymore. Um, and it, that's all in my lifetime, you know? And I guess it's, it's it, I never really thought about that, but yeah, it's, yeah. It's... Yeah. And if that happened all in just one, our lifetime, like imagine at the rate we're going, what would just happen to our one generation below us, our kid's lifetime, um, or even my little sister, who's technically Gen Z, what's going to happen in her lifetime, even though she's just seven years younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like the changes have definitely been exponential, like, you know what I mean? Like the, the shifts that made that happened in our parents' lifetime is not as rapid as what's happened in ours. And as you said, like what the next generation will be too, you know? Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about your show. Um, and, you know, what was your, how did you guys come up with the idea for it? Celine and I were talking a lot about the narrative in the climate space, even how media reports on it. There's this statistic where, um, climate news only took up all of cable news and morning networks 0.4% in 2020. So climate news was not reported on at all. Very minuscule when, mm. you know, the climate crisis is probably the most pressing issue any individual or government or society brand faces today. Um, so that was quite shocking, especially during a year where in 2020, the pandemic happened because, um, you know, it correlates with the climate crisis because of a lack of biodiversity in our ecosystem. So the show also, it was just, it was really to get us out of this binary thinking, like you were saying. And during the pandemic, we were just, there was so much binary thinking and still so much shaming going around like, oh, um, I'm just one person. So, you know, I'm going to put all the blame and pressure on these corporations, which yes, oil corporations have done so much, but then we gave away kind of our power by mm -hmm. just only blaming it on corporations or being like, or these narratives of like, I must be zero waste and vegan and all of this, um, which is really daunting, overwhelming and not accessible for many people to live this lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we were just trying to show the spectrum of sustainability that exists. It's not one or the other. It's not black and white. It's not go vegan, go zero waste, or only blame corporations or not even care. You know, it's, it's all of the above. There are such a multitude of solutions that exist. And we also thought there was a responsibility that media needed to take 
to really report on these answers because every solution we have for the climate crisis, it already exists. It's not like we need to invent them or yeah. discover them. They exist. Um, and I think, you know, one of the downfalls of the climate crisis is that media, we don't report it about it in that way. So that was a big part as well. Yeah. And I like, um, I don't remember exactly how you worded it, Mina, but I like what, what you'd said earlier at the top of this, um, that, you know, you guys present us with solutions and it's an opportunity for it to not feel, because I think for so many of us, it's like, it feels so big. You know what I mean? Like, it just feels so big. There's nothing you can do like what you were just saying. And I like that you guys make it more accessible to have this conversation through this show. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel as daunting when when you guys discuss it. Yeah. Thank you, Isha. I think that mm-hmm. a lot of times when you watch even any climate documentary, um, you just leave feeling so sad and you're yes. like, you feel so overwhelmed. And, you know, there's, there's, I feel like there are a group of people where they see it and they just get driven into action. Like they overperform, but there's a good majority of people where that just freezes them. That, that, makes us frozen into inaction and it causes more the cycle of inaction than actually empowerment um so what we really wanted to do we also wanted to like make sustainability just like fucking fun like it's so (laughs) it's so heavy it's and it's like sustainability is so fun like mother nature is so fun like you remember being a kid and being barefoot in the grass and discovering all the different animals like you were saying of like the beavers and the otters like it was so, it was like this, this lifelong scavenger hunt and it's so exciting and fun. And then all of a sudden it became like so daunting in the way we're talking about it now. And we just wanted to make sustainability sexy. It's so cool. It's so sexy. Like to know about how healing and how um, regenerative mother nature is. It's sexy. It's cool. It's like the life source. Um, Yeah. We wanted to make it just like the coolest thing ever. Cause it, it just really is once you dive deep into it. I think one of the biggest take homes for me is just about like the small changes I can do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I'm definitely one of those people who spiral out where, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, every time I get into a car or every time I do this, I'm polluting the environment and then I'm doing this and then I do that. So then I shouldn't just, I should just basically not exist. You know, that that's where my brain goes. And it's really productive and helpful to me to think about, no, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy this reusable kit of cotton pads, or I'm going to do this or do that. And like, one of the things you talked about um, on your show is how um, so many of these sustainability practices are a result of privilege. Hmm. And part of me, you know, doing my part is acknowledging my privilege, I have the privilege to be able to afford, you know, this reusable um, water bottle or this reusable whatever. I can afford to make sustainable choices. And so that can be my contribution Mm -hmm. because there are many people who don't have the access or don't have the resources or are are not in a position to to make those decisions. And I think that's for me, that was a very helpful way of like understanding it. Yeah. And, you know, I think when you're talking about like every time you get into a car and you're like, Oh, well then should I even exist? And it's like that, that is a really common mentality where we're so overwhelmed by the climate crisis that we don't even think worthy enough of this life. We don't even think we're worthy enough to be coexisting with nature. And that's a really um, 
dangerous place to go because we are mother nature. Humanity mm -hmm. is part of mother nature. We're not separate of it. The separatism is like a colonial construct. Right. Yeah. And I think that that is what, that's the notion we're trying to get away from is like, Oh, we're not worthy of this existence. And we are, we are in a way, if we have this symbiotic relationship with mother nature, we are, if we give and take mutually, you know, but for so long and with society and capitalism, consumerism, imperialism, colonization, what it's taught us to do is only take, 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 but not give back. And every other species, every other living thing gives back to mother nature. That's the only way they're able to still exist. Um, and so we we need to like retrain and, and change our entire mindset of how we interact with mother nature and be worthy of our lives. Like, I don't want to go through life being like, I don't deserve this life. It's like, no, there's a reason why we're here. There's a purpose. And I'm going to own that power, like make action, like consciously make that active choice every day to own this power and my relationship with mother nature. And that doesn't mean I'm a perfectionist though. <laughs> Cause I'm not. Okay, I, ha I have a controversial question because this is something that I think about a lot, like having children. Yeah. There is a part of me that thinks that the worst thing that I can do for the environment and for the rest of humanity is to have a child. And I'm not, this isn't a judgment on anybody or whatever, but sometimes I think about the fact, like, if I have a kid, then, you know, I'm guaranteeing that I'm creating something or someone who's eventually going to create so much, uh, like, a lot of pollution and a lot of waste. Like, if I care about the environment, is it ethical for me to have a child? And I, I don't expect you to answer this question. This is just, like, spur of the moment me thinking out loud. Yeah. Um, but that's something that I wrestle with. And I'm, and I wonder how you, how you negotiate that. Totally. Sorry. I was going to say, I want to have kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I've had the same kind of dilemma and thought process, thought cycles before, but let's first unpack. I feel like we first have to unpack what our impact on this world even means. So you said, if I have a child, then they're going to produce so much waste, have such an impact have such a footprint. First off, let's just clear this up right now. It is impossible to have a zero footprint, a zero carbon footprint, a zero footprint in general. Right now I am breathing out carbon dioxide yeah. and carbon isn't a negative thing. It's just the excess of it. That's like stuck in our atmosphere. Carbon is fundamental to any, any living thing to human life. It's a beautiful part of our cyclical nature of humanity. It's like fundamental for our soil and for growth and, and just, just life. So I first want to clarify that, like this notion of like, oh, to have zero impact or have a zero footprint, like it's just impossible, but you know, that impact, like impact, even the word itself can be a, both a positive thing and a negative thing, right? Like mm -hmm. you can have tremendous impact as one person for the good, and then also tremendous impact for the bad, depending on, you know, this one person. And that's how I think about it again, is getting out of this binary. Like, oh, if I have a child, it's going to be a negative impact. What if you have a child that starts their own movement that teaches us a new way to live? What if we're raising children in a generation, like it's already starting with Gen Z that have this very symbiotic relationship with nature where they're totally, their relationship with nature is on a completely different spectrum and level than what we grew up with. 
And that's how I am thinking about the future generations is not like, oh, my one child will have such a negative impact and use so many resources. I'm thinking about future generations. You know, we are constantly evolving as a humanity. And I really do think we're entering this, this era of consciousness that we've never been before in the industrial revolution. And we're leaving that and going back to our roots of what it means to be connected as nature ourselves. And I think there's this beautiful indigenous quote that, that says, um, we don't inherit this land from our parents. We borrow this land from our children. So we're mm, borrowing wow. nature from our children. And so we're going to do the best that we can as we borrow it. And then our kids are, will do the same for future generations. And I do think there, you know, again, it goes back into the spectrum. I'm not saying have like 10 kids, like be intentional with the life that you're bringing into this world, be intentional with how you raise them and how you want them to experience nature and the world. So yeah, I, I, I just don't think it's, it's helpful for us to say, okay, well then I'm just not going to have kids. Like that's almost a too simplistic way of going about it. It's not about us not having kids. If everyone tomorrow stopped having kids, we would still be in the same crisis we are in because our society is still functioning off of the systemic issues that we are experiencing today. Mm -hmm. I think too, um, you know, Moon, I know the question wasn't directed to me, but I've thought about that as well. And I really liked what you said, Sophia, about, you know, being intentional about how you raise them. That's kind of how I came up with the, the answer to that question in my own mind, where like, yeah, you know, there is a lot of, you have another life, you bring another life into this world, they're going to have some sort of footprint, they're going to do all these things. But if I want to also be a part of shaping the next generation, and I know that if I'm intentional, and I start to interrogate some of the things, uh, my own biases, or the ways I want to help the world, I can pass it on to my children, and who knows what seed that'll plant. You know what I mean? Like just being intentional in that capacity of how you raise the next generation and, and taking on that responsibility. You know what I mean? Um, so I like that you said that, Sophia, like that's, that really resonated with me. Yeah. And for everyone who has decided not to have kids or who have decided to have kids, like there's no right or wrong decision in this. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's the whole point of all of the above is like, there's no binary, binary, there's no right or wrong decision in anything you go when it comes to the climate. It's more of just like this self-awareness and journey and rooting it back into spirituality that we first have to come to terms with. Mm -hmm. there won't there just won't be a one blanket answer one blanket solution for all of us yeah I like I, I think too you know I found presently it's kind of difficult to have conversations with people that aren't in binaries you know I think because there's a lot of fear that's based in the way that you know we're taught to interact with each other and it's we're, we're taught very divisive modes of thought and I, I'm always very excited by people who want to nuance the conversation so it's, it's exciting to me that, you know, the work that you're doing is completely embedded in that idea of nuancing it and removing ourselves from these bin this binary thinking. Because a lot of people, like, I, I don't know if you've experienced this with you, but sometimes you try and talk to people and it's like, they want you to say definitively, is this right or is this wrong? And it's like, well, it's actually not, that's, it's neither. You know what I mean? Um, mm. So I, I, I really, I like, the, I like that a lot about the fact that, about what this, the work you're doing is rooted in. Thank you. Um, yeah. I think those people, it's almost like you have to recognize, like, there's just no, you don't, don't use your energy trying to fight them or trying to prove them <laughs> wrong because 
there's a lot of self-awareness. Like they're looking for confirmation bias. They're looking for you to validate their notions of what right or wrong is. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you don't need to, you don't need to play that role for them. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to enable them either in their thinking. And, and you don't even need to spend your energy doing that. Um, yeah. And I think mm-hmm. in the age of social media and the age of internet and technology, if you wanted to, you could find any supporting evidence for what your truth is, yeah. truth in quotes, because truth is all relative now. If I wanted to prove that the earth is flat, I could find supporting evidence, quote unquote, for that. So I could yeah. prove anything. So if I could prove anything and truth is the truth is all relative, then at the end of the day, what is the truth? That's very true. That's very, very true. And it's kind of scary. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like it is scary. scary. But also sometimes. it's like, yeah, it is super scary. But I also think if we almost break that and, and rise to that next level, if like, oh, okay, if all truth is like, it's like two negatives, all truth is false and all truth is relative. We could prove that then we can maybe shatter the identities and the preconceived notions we're so attached to and think critically for ourselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So on that note, like, what do you think about social media activism? I feel like social media activism is something that was always going to happen. It was like, it was just a natural next step in our social media usage and evolution. And we haven't seen such social media activism until like just recently it's like imploded, right? Um, but I do want to note that I, I never call myself a climate activist. I call myself an advocate or an optimist or a journalist of, uh, reporting about it. But I would never call myself a climate activist because I really just want to respect the true activists who are on the ground fighting for policies. Mm-hmm. They most of the time don't even have a social following or not even a big one. They yeah. spend their entire lives, dedicate so much time, the youth, the ones that have been doing it for decades, working on the ground. And um, and yeah, and I, I just respect them so much. And I would never want to say me talking about this is, is comparative. Like nothing in this space should be comparative. And I think that's also one of the the enemies is like we compare everything. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but social media activism, it serves a role, you know? It serves mm-hmm. a role. I think there people might be like, oh, they're not actually doing the work or um, they're just virtue signaling, et cetera. But they serve a role because every time they talk about something that they believe that they're passionate about, they're going to be reaching at least one person in some aspect. And as much as we are in our echo chambers and our social media, if we could just expand as many viewpoints and different thoughts, I think that's healthy for critical thinking and for just evolution in general. I'm curious about how your use and engagement with social media has changed specifically recently with um, people being more outspoken about crimes against hate crimes against the Asian community, hashtag stop Asian hate, and your own personal experience advocating against um, racial violence and then the hate that you ended up getting, um, you know, I read your your article in Vogue and I was not only moved, but just crushed at how people responded to you. Yeah. 
And I think at the time when you were going through that and you were posting what people were commenting, I, I, I sent you a message, but we didn't follow each other you didn't follow me back. Not that, that that's, that's shade or anything, yeah. No, but it's like, I don't think you saw the message, but I remember just being like, how is she dealing with this? Mm-hmm. Because I can't, I can't imagine that, um, from anonymous trolls. So, uh, yeah, I'm just curious about how you've been able to negotiate that and what, how your heart is existing in that. Well, I just wanted to note that during that time, specifically when you DM'd me, and even to this day, I have set such strong boundaries of my usage with social media because as a coping mechanism, as a survival technique, so I can even still engage with the platform. So Mm. I didn't respond back. I probably, I still have thousands of unread DMs because half of them are still hate mail and half of them are probably messages of support but even to have the emotional energy to go through some of them that are all hate messages takes a lot of bandwidth and i just haven't even touched it so if i wasn't following you or if i didn't know you were even reaching out just of love and support i just like couldn't even deal with that because it was just like my my survival tactic that was just like a boundary i had to set for myself because it got so intense um so i never thought it would get to that point i never thought me just sharing my ultimate truth and what I believe in of saying, guys, when racial, when racial groups are pitted against each other during the anti-Asian hate crimes, we're supporting white supremacy. Like, did we not learn anything during this past year with, with the Black Lives Matter movement? I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement has been going on for eight years, but have we learned nothing from specifically this past year and everything else? Like we we did all these learnings and we did this, all this self-work. Um, and we're going to go back into this thought process of like relying on police authorities and relying, you know, and like pointing fingers when it's like, we know it's systemic. We know that the other, we're no, we know that other vulnerable communities are not the root enemy at the end of the day. And I didn't realize using words like white supremacy that is so embedded in our society would be so triggering to so many people, like not even triggering just to white people, but I was really surprised. It was really triggering to even the Asian community that are so um, that are just so embedded in the model minority mindset that they couldn't even realize that we were a pawn to white supremacy for so long. And we were a pawn to the model minority. We were a pawn to the systemic racism and these institutions. Mm-hmm. And it was so triggering that, you know, I was like the, I would, I feel like I was just like the punching bag for so many people when they were triggered and um, they just, they kept rolling in for like weeks and um i you know had to stop i had to change my instagram settings to only if you followed me you could comment then you know then a lot of white supremacists followed me and then had to change my instagram settings to and it's it's died down and you know it's that's how social media works is that it goes super super viral and like the craziest circles and then it dies down and then goes again and that in itself that vicious cycle that's a whole other conversation i don't think that's healthy either but how I maintain, how it first impacted me was just utmost, at first I was like, oh, I don't care. Like, obvious, like if I'm, it, it was like a mix of like, oh, this must be impacting them in some way. Like I must be speaking some sort of truth if it's like getting such a reaction out of them. But then you just get so overwhelmed by the negativity and the hate that you just 
feel numb. I feel like I went into this, I well, one definitely had a panic attack, which I haven't had in years and so long. And I'm not a person that has a lot of um, anxiety from social media in general, because I try to have these strict boundaries even before this, but it became just so intense at some, at one point that yeah, really um, just a really overwhelming panic attack that I couldn't even identify as a panic attack. And I couldn't even identify that it was from this. I was like, oh, maybe it's work, it's this. And then I unpacked and I was like, wow, it's because I'm taking on so much hate. It's because I'm actually giving energy to reading these messages or mm. these comments. Um, and then gave it time, really disconnected myself from social media um, and realized, oh, just because someone is throwing their biases, their negativity, their hate, their their shortcomings onto you, their trigger is onto you, doesn't mean you have to accept them, even on a social media platform, you know, and uh, even at a party, you know, if someone's being just like bad vibes, like you can walk away. And I think with social media, it's hard for us to walk away because it's, it lives and exists on our profile. But then I was like, no, I, I don't need to, I, you don't come into my space. And even if it's a digital space, you don't come into my space and dictate your, mm negativity I dictate that so yes we had the boundaries and I turned off a lot of settings but also I decided to um I decided decided to turn every hate comment that I received on this one specific post about white supremacy and I decided to donate two dollars for every comment to the largest AAPI nonprofit in the U.S. which is called Apex for Youth um because I, I love that. I was when I when I saw that, I was like, yes, so that's what pissed. the fuck you do. Yes, I'm so mad. I love it. Gagging. They must have been so mad. Yeah, I was like, keep it coming, because you know what, Dummies, honestly, keep, day, like, like, keep it coming. I need this money. This money needs to go back to the community, and I know mm -hmm. that comes from a place of privilege again that I could even be okay and to even do that, um, be in a secure space, but. I was just like, now when I do brand partnerships, I'm like, look at my engagement, but like the engagement is like so much from the white supremacist. <laughs> but you know, like, then- These are my numbers, that, so. <laughs> yeah, but I use that money to go back into the community. And that in itself, that also is sustainability. Sustainability is about circularity of monetization mm -hmm. and funds and finances. It's moving it back yes. into- she turned a, ro a thorn yeah, into a rose. Yeah. Wow. A thorn into a yeah, rose. And, and one of the reasons I picked this organization specifically, this nonprofit, is because I was looking at the data of, um, there's this organization called Stop AAPI Hate, and they were reporting on, um, you could report on any sort of um, discrimination or xenophobia attack or verbal abuse, any sort of kind of abuse. And I deep dive into their reportings and on the local news, we saw a lot of Asian elders being attacked, but actually the, the demographic, the age demographic that was most impacted and most attacked by this pandemic were Asian youth under 20 years old. So there was one report where, you know, in New York city, seven out of 10 AAPI kids still choose not to go back to school in person because they're scared of being bullied. They're scared of being made fun of or being verbally attacked. And that's just sad because again, going back into the kids and how we raise them, we cannot raise our next generation of kids in this identity, in this mindset that this exists, you know, like that needs to end with the next generation. So that's why I specifically chose that nonprofit.
Yes. Amazing. Um, so like on that note, I want to know, you know, how you deal with your your mental health like what are the things that you've been doing to make sure that your mind is well and that you're taking care of yourself in that capacity especially with all the things that um are going are have been going on um in the spaces we're just discussing yeah i think um like mental and spiritual health is just the most foundational and crucial it's the mother hub of everything else i do in life uh if it's if my mental and spiritual health aren't in good place then i i can't even interact with work or social media. And actually like this entire week, I haven't been on social media once um, because I just been so overwhelmed with work. And I know that I don't want to go on social media unless I have the bandwidth or I'm in a good spot because if I go on there, then it's just, it, it feeds off of the fear and the insecurities and my everything else that I'm already thinking of. It fears feeds off of the stress and the comparisons. And so that's like my, new rule that I'm implementing is I don't even touch Instagram or any of it. And unless I'm in a good headspace. Um, but yeah, for mental health, a lot of it is, uh, aligning back with what I know my true self to be. So it could be meditation. It could be journaling. It could be taking a bath. It could be spending time with my partner. It could be spending time in nature. It's just anything that roots and grounds me. I really just hold on to, um, and that's not going to happen. Like if you go through a, a period like that, where it's like a, a month of social anxiety, like one day in the park or one day in nature hiking isn't going to cure it all. Um, but it will help put some perspective. It will help reset you. Um, and just getting back into equilibrium. I really just try not to do anything else unless the, the spiritual and the mental health is, is intact. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, do you work with a therapist or a counselor at all? Oh my God. I work with so many people. <laughs> um, I have like a whole crew of people that I go to and give us the list. Give us the list. I know. And I'm like, I'm not ashamed of it. Like that's how I function. Like there was a, there was a time in my life when just a few years ago where I worked with a spiritual healer and clairvoyant like twice a week, at least one time or twice. Like it was basically twice a week and it was, it was like full on intensive. Like I was in spiritual boot camp while living the New York lifestyle. That was in 2019. And I'm so glad I did that because it was right before the pandemic. And during the pandemic, I felt so good about it because I had already did so much self-work to be like, okay, I'm in a good spot. I think people who haven't done the self-work during the pandemic, they were like, who am I? What am I doing? Like it was. <laughs> was that when you found out about all your past lives that you mentioned earlier? I found out about my past lives. So I found out my past lives of, uh, around, I think, five years ago through a clairvoyant. And then I did a past life regression with someone. Um, so, yeah, guys, I have like a hypnotherapist, a clairvoyant, a spiritual healer, um, a past life regression person. But you don't need to do that all the time. But depending <laughs> on what I'm going through, I will call these different people or at and just like, have you know, it's just like you need that brands have advisory boards and it's like we need these like advisory spiritual boards and mental health boards so your executive council yeah <laughs> I my love executive it. council I love it. literally I've always wanted to do a past life regression I've just never found like the right person and oh I'll send this person to you yes you will I, love it I mean there there are so many um like I think I 
I'm the kind of person I embrace everything, but with a grain of salt. And it's just sort of like, does this resonate with me in the moment? Do I feel connected to uh, this person, what they're saying? Does it feel true to me or not? And I've had a few experiences with like clairvoyants and psychics who, who I've been like, yeah, like, I don't know how this person knows this, but that, that's crazy. Have you ever, have you ever worked with or seen that woman in Union Square? I think her name's like Umoja or something like that. So many people, that's like my only New York experience, but so many people I know in New York know this woman and she was like on point, crazy good. Really? Oh my God. I haven't gone to her. I want to now. I'm so into that. And I used to be a skeptic, by the way, like the hands down, the most skeptic of psychics and things like that. And um, yeah, there's just some things you can't explain. Yeah. Like I, I mean, there are, it's, it's hard, especially with the pandemic, because with certain healers, I think you get the most out of them by being physically in the room. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, like I would love if you could just drop that list, honey, Yes, please. My little sister please. lives in New York City, so the next time I go for a visit, you know, I might have to just make a few Point. appointments. <laughs> yeah, do it. Um, go on like a spiritual retreat. Like we go on vacation, so our bodies can rest. Like, why don't we go on vacations so our spirit can rest and yeah. rejuvenate? But yeah, the hypno, the past life regression. He's also a hypnotherapist. He's based in Austin now. He used to be based in New York, but Leo Max is his name. I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna send you everything. All all the lists. And if you're ever in Toronto, I can I can let you know about um, a couple people here. I okay. have, I see a medical intuitive. His name is Taichi Wano. He's a Japanese acupuncturist and medical medical intuitive. He's insane. Wow. Okay. Like, yes, I love. He can identify something in your body and be like, "Did you break your arm when you were 13 years old in June?" And like, <laughs> like literally to the day on point. That's so. I wild. love that so much. So, and you know, it, a lot of this isn't even like woo woo per se, like what you're talking about, this, this person, it, a lot of it roots back into traditional Chinese medicine, like TCM, like acupuncture, like they could also see it. They can, like, I have friends where you show them your tongue and they tell you everything that's going on in your body, what's going oh, on. I, I have a woman in Toronto, uh, Fang Wang. She like, she does. She, she, literally, um, I, last year during the pandemic, I was dealing with some stuff. She was like, send me a picture of your tongue. Like, yep yep thing. your tongue and it's like we think we need to do these like deep experiences and all this stuff but our bodies are such symbols and mirrors of what's happening with our subconscious that we like shove down and push down so much our tongue like where our stress points are and yeah. if we just like root it back in oh we have all the answers it's all right there i'm curious about something are you um were you raised like very religiously no, not at all. I mean, my grandparents are Buddhists mm -hmm. um, on my dad's side. And mm -hmm. we grew up like, we grew up in Tennessee, Texas and Virginia with a lot of, you know, I think in Texas, there's like a lot of Christians and things like that. And a lot yeah. of my um, best friends in college were Christians, but I never consider myself religious. I always consider myself spiritual though. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it was never, it was never religion was in a big part of it. It was always like, it was always like trusting 
almost like this inner voice and and respecting that as well mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's interesting because we had uh sammy was on here last last month and we were speaking with him kind of the conversation ended up making a similar segue into what we're talking about now and actually um, yeah it totally yeah, did we, to- we, we totally about. ended up talking yeah. about <laughs> he, he had a was she a psychic or no, she was a, she's a meditation. I was literally looking at as you guys were talking. She's a meditation and uh, she has meditation and Reiki, but she also does like the past life stuff. She's like, oh, like, yeah. Like, all that stuff. Right. Her name is uh, yeah, Salama he, he Pirani. Sent, he sent the link. I he totally forgot. To yes. And um, we were talking about, and I was saying that like, you know, growing up, my parents, I wasn't really raised religiously. So I didn't have that foundation of that a lot of people had. And now as an adult, I'm really trying to learn about my spirituality and take on all these new, um, not new, but take on different types of ways to connect to my spirituality. And because I've always believed it, I've always had something that's very, that, that's rooted in me that I know there's a higher power, but I never had language to decide what that meant for me so it's always interesting that when we're talking to creatives this kind of comes up like most creative people have some sort of thing that they do have some sort of spiritual connection that they that that, that i found there that's very strong so i was just that's why i asked that question because you know it's it's interesting that it always kind of it's it's segued into this yeah (laughs) yeah i think if you ask any creative they will tell you it's not like I mean, I don't think any creative genius or any creative even would be like, oh yeah, it's all me. It all comes from me. We're like, no, like there's this higher source. This is like creative God or energy that we tap into. Like, I'm not like, I am self-aware enough to know that all my wisdom and all just like these inner knowings and stuff, that doesn't come from me. That comes from maybe lots so many lives that I've lived it comes from my spiritual guides it comes from this other source and and you're like oh I I felt tapped into that now if I I think there was a point in time where we all felt so connected spiritually and we lost that along the way as a humanity and we're finally going back to that way of living Mm -hmm. yeah for sure for sure well I have did you have any other questions you want to ask before we do our would you rathers no i think we should get into the fun stuff let's get into the fun stuff yeah okay let's do it yeah okay so do you want to go first mina um uh, sure um (laughs) okay well i i was trying to come up with sort of like a environmentally focused would you rather question so tell me if this (laughs) makes sense would you rather be able to talk to animals or talk to trees and other natural formations? So like you could talk to a mountain or you could talk to a waterfall. Like what would you rather? Ooh, that's hard. gosh, that's so hard because you know, trees do talk and communicate. The yes. secret life of trees is a book and I'll dive into it. Um, I think I would rather talk to mountains and waterfalls and trees because you can, kind of tell how animals communicate with you um you know if you've had a dog or anything you you can tell what they're trying to communicate so i i feel like there's already this energy exchange of communication but with like trees and mountains it's not as apparent or obvious so would would love to talk to a mountain and be like wow you've been here you were created because of a meteor that hit the earth eons ago like tell me about that like that would be sick (laughs) i think so too i think i'd pick that too that sounds like the. That sounds like it'd be so awesome to be like. So how did everything start, man? Mountain, like, were you a pebble? Yeah, like, can right. We talk about it. Yeah. Ooh, you- like, huh? give me the tea on that dinosaur. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think I would choose animals just because. Um, 
I love animals and <laughs> I know this is lame, but every time I go horseback riding, I'm always like, is this horse consenting? I don't know. And I just would love to be able to be like, girl, do you, do you consent? consent? Are you sure <laughs> what you want? Like, I love to be that. confirmed. Like, right. Yeah. That's funny. I love that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I feel that. I feel that. Okay. Would you rather be able to remember everything you see or everything you hear? Ooh. Um, gosh, I'm such a visual and words person. I think I would rather remember everything that I see because words limit us. Words limit you know how you were saying with spirituality, you you didn't even have the words. Like I think words limit us, but seeing something I can maybe pick up the energy and different things and Mm. see more than just what's actually happening point blank. I'm so petty. I feel like I would want to remember everything I hear so I could be like, well, you say this (laughs) (laughs) on this day at this time, like, 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 exactly. But then again, I'm a Scorpio. So, Oh, yeah. Gotta love a Scorpio. Oh, we didn't even get into... Okay, wait, I want to answer first. Astrology? We didn't, yeah. So I'm going to answer and then we're going to do that. Um, I would pick probably C. Just because I I wish I could remember things like... I'm very visual too and I retain information better and I feel like if I just like had the ability to like... You know, I see something like, oh my god, I want to like do something like that again or like I just... I'm more inspired by visuals than sound. I feel like I'm maybe going to regret saying that, but I just would pick C. I'd pixie. Okay, now you gotta give us. Do you have your whole? Do you know your sun, moon, rising? My sun is a Leo. My moon is a Taurus, and my <gasps> rising is on a cusp of a Gemini and Taurus. Oh, we like that. So oh, we're, we're we like similar. That. We're very similar. Um, what are I, you, Scorpio I'm sun? Scorpio sun, Taurus moon, and Gemini rising. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Let's go. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot. Okay, mine is um Taurus Sun, Leo Moon, Cancer Rising. Oh wow. Wow. Yeah, we have a lot of like this looks like a little like Yeah, it's a triangle. Yeah. Trifecta. Trifecta. Okay. Um Moon, I think you're next for another question. Okay, I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask a messy boots one, okay? Yeah, do it. Would you rather all the chats on your phone leak or all of the photos? Ooh. Leak to who? <laughs> the world. world the world. Everybody. It's everywhere. <laughs> um, honestly, all the chats. Like, even my photos I would be fine with. I don't have anything that's, like, too rated R, I feel like, in my photos. But I feel like chats yeah i'm totally because one i'm the worst at texting and two i yeah i just don't have anything to hide so i'm like read my chats whatever go for it okay okay what about you guys um i think i'm like i'm like i think both for me would be kind of bad like i have like, different ways. <laughs> like, like, like i take i mean yeah, I, I have lots of like R-rated photos on my phone, but also I like take pictures of my own shit, and I take pictures of like, like things that like nobody needs to see. Right. I feel like there'd be a lot of questions if my photos leaked. It wouldn't even be like, oh my god, did you see? It would be like, what is going on in her mind? No, what's going on in her butt? Like. <laughs> <laughs> 
so um, good. Uh, so I, I don't know. I plead the fifth. Okay, Keisha, you go. You have to pick one. As messy as my photos are, I probably choose my photos over um, my text because mm. I'll just say I'm a Scorpio. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I would. I'm just petty. Like, I'm petty. So I feel like if people saw some of the. Not that I like. Anyways, I'm exposing myself now. But um, <laughs> I feel like probably my photo. I uh, I'm gonna go with fo- I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with photos. Yeah, I'm gonna go with photos. You look good in a nude, so yeah. Like, what's a little? <laughs> yeah, own it. Well, what's you're a little like, nip slip here and there? A little, yeah, you know? you're like actually, okay. I'm totally fine. People seeing this, I'm totally fine. It's fine. I just sometimes like you know when you screenshot things and send it to the group chat. I feel like that would get exposed. You know, uh, like you're like yeah. you know <laughs> you're like yo look at what the, like look at this like you know that would be kind of bad. So it kind of be the same outcome as the chats in a True. sense but yeah but you know not as much context um okay so last question would you rather have a rewind button or a pause button on your life a pause for sure 100 yeah? yeah i'm really bad at processing things in the moment it usually takes me like maybe a week or a few days to process really big things and then i'm like oh okay got it that happened because i'm just like so present and go 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 that I don't take time to like let it sink in and with rewinding sure like there would definitely be things I would love to go back to but I always just have this like deep desire to be as present as possible and not so caught up in my past like I want to cherish my past but I don't want to be stuck in it Mm, I love that love the last part of what you said yeah what about you guys I feel like we've answered this question before we have, but I wanted to know what Sophia's answer was. Yeah, no, I'm thinking about, I'm trying to think about my answer. I think that like my default would be to rewind because I'm someone who ruminates about the past a lot. And, um, you know, I always think about what I could have done differently or better, but I think my spirit and probably my guides, my ancestor would be like, bitch, you need to pause. Um, <laughs> so, so I'll go with that one. Uh. Okay, I said I'd pick pause because I wouldn't want the power of potentially going back and changing the future. You know, I wouldn't know what yes. the ripple effects of that would be if I could go backwards. Right, like, right? like the whatever happens, happens. Exactly. Like, I think pausing, like what you said, Sophia, just being able to process and be like, okay, this thing happened. Let me just pause right now and then just take it in, make an informed decision, and then we can move forward, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, also, I don't know about yeah. you guys, but I'm the worst with time management. Like, I feel like I'm a optimist with time too, but it, it bites me in the butt. Like, I'll be like, yes, I could totally do that. And I'll be there in three hours and then five hours later. <laughs> yeah. Literally, so I need a pause today, for sure. Yeah. Today I, I had a, a moment with that where like, I realized I overbooked things and I was like, oh my God, Keisha, like, <laughs> no, I need more time. So positives for everybody. Um, well, that was so fun. I like having you here. So fun. That's great. Thank you yeah. for coming on the show. This is so much Thank fun. Thank you guys for having me. This was definitely yeah. a vibe. I'm, I, I've been, like, I mean, since I heard about you through the icons of Rixo, I've always been like, her, she, I want to be friends with. So I'm <laughs> glad we were finally able to connect. Mm-hmm. You, Scorpio, Leo, we're friends. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, no, honestly, I had the best time. This is such like a nice midday, like 
like this was my pause honestly like if i could choose a pause this was my pause moment you guys helped me process so much so this in itself was a pause so grateful for that thank you oh that's so nice thank you great um can you share where people can find you and your work with us yeah please? yeah you can find me on instagram it's at s-o-p-h-f-e-i so fey it's Sophia, which is my American name, and Faye, which is my Chinese nickname. So it's my American nickname and my Chinese nickname because I feel like both identities are just part of me. People think my last name is Faye, but no, it's just my Chinese name. <laughs> um, and websites, do you use any Same. socials? Same? Yeah. Okay, cool. Everything is Sophie. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. And um, yeah. Thank you. The rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you. Such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much, Sophia, for being on the show. Yeah, I'm so glad we were able to make that happen. I know. That was, she's wonderful. Um, so, announcements. Do you have any announcements, Muna? I don't. I just want to say thank you to everybody who's been listening and continuing to support us. And um, I just hope everybody is healthy and safe. And if you feel it is right, get vaccinated. Yes, I concur with all those things. Um, I have one announcement. As always, Collective Culture has our column with Never Apart. And this month's edition is written by Tanya Peralta. And it's a very creative piece. I'm really excited to share this one with everyone. I don't want to give too much away, but it's a very personal and differently formatted kind of vibe than what we normally do for the column. So please check it out. And um, yeah, that's it. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at Keisha Chung, K-E-E-S-H-A-C-H-U-N-G. And the Collective Culture Instagram is at Collective Culture with two underscores. I'm not going to spell those out because I feel like you guys can spell that for yourself. But um, yeah. And my Instagram is at underscore Muna Traore. That's underscore M-O-U-N-A-T-R-A-O-R-E. On um, Twitter, it's the same thing. I don't really use Twitter, but if you want to follow me, feel free. Yeah, same. I think I have like three followers on Twitter. I really don't use it. But yeah. Like maybe something I should get into. Do you feel like compelled sometimes to get into different social media? Absolutely platforms? not. Okay. That's what I was saying. <laughs> Keep your Twitters and your TikToks. I am good. (laughs) Well, on that lovely note, have a great month, everyone, and we will see you in four weeks. Bye. Collective Culture Creative Conversations, the podcast, is made possible by Never Apart and Collective Culture. This podcast is produced and researched by Keisha Chung, Muna Traore, and Anna Okoto. It is edited by Anna Akoto. The music you're hearing was made by the lovely Villa Beats. And if you like what you heard today, please rate and subscribe to the show. We appreciate you and your support, and we can't wait to bring you back more episodes. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next month.